1209, Scott Warris, Eric Milstead, Jeff Wagner off this week. He is in a much warmer place, a much less snowy environment for Jeff. Congratulations to him, and I'm sure he'll tell us all about it on Monday when he's back, because we're going to be hit again tomorrow. Tomorrow, Eric, might be might be the day that pushes me over the edge with my I'm sick of I'm sick of, of uh, winter because of the sloppiness of it the fact because that I've got to be here early tomorrow so I'm really because if it impacts us I, you know <laughs> I, I if it impacts me if it impacts you if it the time when the weather really hits home that's when you start getting fed up with it when it's you know school day number eight and mm-hmm. mom and dad have got to yes. either take a day off or find. That's when you start getting in. That's when you reach the tipping point. Jeff reached the tipping point last week. Steve reached the tipping point this weekend. You've long since reached the tipping point. Yesterday morning. Yep, yesterday. So uh, I'll let you know tomorrow if I've reached my tipping point. So (laughs) Manny Machado, this is the Manny Machado, all-world infielder, baseball player, for those of you who don't know who he is, and he is one of the two big dog free agents. And spring training has just begun, so the the timing is uh, it's getting down to crunch time here. Anyway, Manny Machado and Bryce Harper is the other one, but Machado has signed a deal with San Diego, the Padres, ten years, three hundred million dollars. It is the biggest free agent contract in American sports history. Maybe until Bryce Harper signs his, which could come soon. And it has to be more, right? And Harper has to make more money. When you assume. Unless it's for less years. Ah. I'm sorry, fewer years. Unless okay. it's for fewer years. Machado's a four-time All-Star, two-time Gold Glove Award winner. Of course, uh, for those of you who don't know much about him, maybe you learned a little bit about him when the Brewers and the Dodgers. He played mm-hmm. for the Dodgers in the second half last year. Uh, he's the one who stepped on the back of uh, Jesus Aguilar's ankle during the NLCS. And, of course, we knew what stemmed from that. And that is one reason why a lot of people in these uh, parts do not like Manny Machado. I am. I, I, it is interesting why people bristle at these dollar figures. At, at you know, it, it it certainly is the biggest deal ever. But even things that are cheaper, quote unquote, cheaper than three hundred million dollars. Why? Why does that bother people? Why? And I, I at because the root it, cause, it, I, we're, we're jealous. You, well, yeah, it's, it's you're just right. envy. But playing a game, you you get to play a game. So that, we're jealous that you get to do something as fun as play baseball sure. and get. And obviously, I'm naive. I think there's a lot of work that goes into being that good. And it's a business. That, yeah, yes. I yes. mean, look at the the business. You look at what the uh, the business of the San Diego Padres. What that now becomes mm-hmm. with Manny Machado. Oh, yeah. I think that's a different story. But it's just we we shouldn't. It's not our money. Yeah, but. It, <laughs> if, if an if owner Brewers, chooses to pay... If the Brewers were to pay that type of money, you would anticipate, right, that it would change ticket prices, it could change um, some of the, the the price tags, some of the, the the things you buy, the sodas, the beers, and whatnot, the, the hot dogs, right? Doesn't that... Won't the Padres have to make up some of that money somehow? You wonder if... The fact that it simply makes the team more viable on the on the field. I mean, if the Brewers go out, and I'm not, we're not reporting. This is this is just hypothetical here, everybody. So don't go running to the Twitter. If the Brewers were to sign, if Mark Adonazio decides he's the majority owner, signed Bryce Harper, would would fans really be upset about that? Oh, I can't believe you spent, let's say, no, three hundred million. Be ecstatic, right? And it's not our money. It's Mark Adonazio's money. It's um, 
you know, Mark Lazary, Wes Edens, Jamie Dimon's money. They are the owners, yes. the, at least the, the, the top three majority owners of the Milwaukee Bucks. It's their money. So why does that bother people this much? It's just, it's just envy. It's just jealousy. It's just, and you know, I, I'm convinced people do not get upset about actors. You know who is one of the most highly paid people in Hollywood? Tom Cruise. Well, yes. Well, I'm sure, and Tom George Hanks Clooney. and all that. It's somebody who's on television every day. Oh, so it's a guy who's syndicated, right? So he's got a syndicated show. It's probably Big Bang Theory. Kid. This person is the highest paid. Let's see if you know. Does anybody know this? This person is the highest television's highest paid personality. Oh, it's Jerry Seinfeld. They make $47 million annually. Now, the show is ranked number one in all of syndication for at least the last eight years. Does anybody know this? Should I stop guessing? For, here, let's just... 414-799-1620. Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Who is the highest paid television personality? $47 million annually. And why aren't we upset about this? Well, this so the reason is syndication. You make a lot of money in syndication. Well, but just I just want to know why if if this, if this person deserves this type of money, and where's the outrage for this? Well, everybody gets hair on fire for the sports. <laughs> just just line them all up, Kyle. Right or wrong, we'll just take them all. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Where's the outrage for this person making forty seven million dollars a year? This week's Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase is brought to you by Dramatic Pause. Outdoor Living Unlimited, extending your house into your yard with patios, decks, fire pits, outdoor kitchens, and lots of other great ideas for the ultimate backyard. OutdoorLivingUnlimited.com This is not how I intended to start the show, but I think we're uh, onto something here, at least out of the gates. Baseball news. Manny Machado, 10 years, 300 million. People don't like it. Why? Because I, I contest you're just jealous, you're envious that somebody is getting paid that much to play, in essence, a game. It's a business, but nonetheless, you're playing a game. It's monopoly and, money. And, and you're right, and people have texted in. I do understand the fact that Manny Machado is not all that well liked in these parts after what <laughs> happened during the NLCS when he stepped on the. Uh, the, the 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 ankle of uh, Jesus Aguilar. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that got us talking about money and big contracts and sports, and that kind of took us to entertainment. And why don't we get upset when you know Tom Hanks or Tom Cruise or other actors not named Tom? I'm trying to think of other ones. Uh, um, who's uh, who's uh, Meryl Streep? I mean, how can we don't how, how can we get rattled off how much money they get paid for their most recent deal? But I, I bring up the point that there is somebody out there in television, and I guarantee you nobody's upset that this person, or at least they haven't voiced their displeasure as frequently as they do for sports, that this person is television's highest paid personality, $47 million per year. $47 million a year. Can you guess who that is? Susie and Mequon, what's your guess? Susie. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Jerry Springer. Good guess. Springer has been around forever, still in syndication, makes a lot of money, but it's not him. Lori in Menominee Falls, good afternoon. Who is, who's your guess? I think it's 
Ellen DeGeneres. Ooh, good Ooh, guess. That's a good one. But no, it is not Ellen. But uh, she may very well be up there. Let's uh, hear from Kevin in Fond du Lac. Hey, Kevin, what's your guess? Oh, I got this. What is it? Who is it? Jerry Seinfeld. Now, why would you say Jerry Seinfeld? I just remember that huge contract a little while back that they were talking about in the news and mm-hmm. how uh, everyone was all uh, up in arms about how much he was making and all. And Even after the show is off the air and it's just running in syndication. Yes, exactly. He still is on the stage, but it is not Jerry Seinfeld. Thanks for the call. That was uh, also what, uh, that was my guess. what Eric proposed. Uh, Jim and Franklin. Jim, what's your guess? My guess is Jerry Springer. No, it is not. No, it is not Jerry Springer on the text line. Come on, people. 414-799-1620 on the Akin and Mortgage Talk and text line. Uh, Matt and Sheboygan. Howard Stern. I, I know Howard Stern makes a lot of money, but most of that coming from radio. I was going to say, does that count as TV? Uh, let's see. Who else? Uh, from yeah. the 262, Pat Sajak. Pat's, oh, he, oh is, is that what Jimmy was going to guess? Yeah, but, Go ahead, put him on, Kyle. Uh, let, 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 uh, Jim and Waukesha, go ahead. Give us your guess, buddy. I'm going to say Pat Sajak. He has been around. How old is Pat you know Sajak? He looks exactly <laughs> he looks the, same the same now as he did 30 years ago. He looks like dynamite. No, it is yeah, not. He's, he, I, he's still up there. I'm not sure if it's him. That's going to be my guess. It, it's a good guess. It's not right. Pat Sajak is 72. <laughs> he looks phenomenal. Holy mackerel. His hair is 42. He's 72, but the hair is 42. That's why he looks so young. 414-799-1620. It's not Pat Sajak. It's not Howard Stern. It's not Jerry Seinfeld. Who is the highest paid television star? Who else is in And why aren't you as upset about it as you are about Manny Machado making $300 million over 10 years? I don't know why people aren't upset about this. Jeff in Fox Points uh, texts in Jimmy Kimmel. Vel in Waukesha says Steve Harvey. These are all good guesses. Again, this is the highest paid TV personality. I'm using this terminology on purpose. I don't know if you've picked up on that. Uh, Lauren in Milwaukee. What's your guess, Lauren? Uh, I see Dr. Phil. Dr. Phil is everywhere. Isn't that amazing what happens when you you, you start on Oprah? Yeah, Oprah And now Dr. Phil yeah. is his own... No, it oh, is yeah. not. He's he's raking it in. I know, Lauren, but it is not Dr. Phil. Okay, we, we've uh, we've dragged this out long enough. Didn't you see Dr. Phil? Didn't you... What? Didn't I? Didn't you Dr. bump Phil? into him? Didn't you see him someplace? No. <laughs> okay. Oh, I thought you mean like, am I seeing him like as a as my therapist? Are you a client of his? <laughs> yes, I can afford Doctor Phil. No, my uh, my therapist is much cheaper. <laughs> <laughs> All right, enough of this. Uh, Luke in Milwaukee. What's your guess? Judge Judy. Yes, there it, is. it is Judge Judy. Judy Scheindland, who has been. She's been raking it in, and I'm telling you, nobody blinks twice. Nobody says anything over this. Judge Judy is the highest-paid TV personality. She makes $47 million a year. Um, now, the reason for it is obviously her own show is, is hot, and it's, it's been, it's been uh, you know, going for over 20 years now. But she also sold the rights 
to the 5200 episode library as well as future episodes of the show to CBS for 100 million. Then you've got the paycheck and the 47 million she gets. She hosts Judge Judy. She produces Hot Bench. Have you seen Hot Bench? <laughs> I've seen, Hot, seen bench. Hot Bench. <laughs> That's three judges. <laughs> yeah. Three judges. There's three of them up there. Ooh, it's and hot bench. It's hot bench. Hot bench. She, uh, Shinelin, took in triple her typical annual paycheck. With that added to her bank account, uh, this is Forbes reporting, she also becomes the 48th richest self-made woman in America with a net worth of over $400 million. Wow. Anyway, the point of bringing this up. No, he, okay, by the way, oh, that, oh that's just, uh, never mind. Uh, that, that's TV uh, ratings, not uh, salary. Anyway, um, Judge Judy, yes, to everybody who texted and called, it's Judge Judy. Yeah, Jim Parsons is a good one. Uh, Steve Harvey, Jimmy Kimmel, Oprah, Sophia Vergara. That's Judge Judy. Again, the highest paid TV host, The high, Michael Strahan. The key is syndication. The, the, you the get key your is show syndica- on syndication right. and you are set for life. Why doesn't anybody get upset? Or maybe they will now that we've talked about it. How come nobody gets upset over the fact that Judge Judy? Makes she that runs money? out her ground balls at you. <laughs> Judge Judy. <laughs> Judge Judy hustles <laughs> out. She hustles out a grounder. And in that robe, it's not easy because your right? cleats yes, can get yes. caught in the in the in the yeah, bottom of the robe. For that. Um, she cares. The thing about the baseball contracts, it, they're fully guaranteed, mind you. Unlike football, where you, you sign and there's a certain amount of money you get up front, and not all of it is guaranteed. You can be cut. From a football team yes, at any time, and then you only get your guaranteed money. Baseball money is, he's going to get $300 million. It's amazing period. how these collective bargaining agreements come down. And, like, you think about that. So, baseball, they're fired up right now. There's concerns of strikes and everything because this free agency period has become such an issue where it almost looks like collusion, according to some players. Then you have football where, hey, by the way, tomorrow you're done. You're out. You sign a deal. You're essentially signing a contract that can be eliminated at any time by your employer. That is another reason why, for example, when football players rake in boatloads of money, I have Signing no problem. With, first that, of yeah. all, I have no problem with it because you could die on a football field at any given moment, right? I mean, you you, you could that could not sure, uh, right? Of course, that could yeah, not end well for you. It can be rough. No, you could certainly do that. I mean, baseball. Yeah, it's not. Right. I mean, you get hit in the head, and obviously there, there's a threat there, but not like football. So I don't think any of us should get that upset when a football player makes that much money. And I, I just don't think in general we should get that upset when baseball players make money. When we do, just ask yourself, Scott, why are you really upset about this? And it's because I'm jealous. I'm envious. <laughs> right? That's what it is at the end of it all. But What do you do with all that money? Judge Judy? Well, I, yeah, her or, or Machado. I mean, what do you do with $300 million? Well, the, thing, the key is it... it it is generational wealth, meaning that you said I don't know if, I don't know if Machado's married and has kids or not, um, but you, if you're smart, you have to be able to set up your your kids, your grandkids, you your great kids. Yep, I mean, yep. generational wealth. That's what that term means. But there's also plenty of stories of players who have not gotten proper financial advice, have wasted money. Now a lot of them file for bankruptcy. Yes. The NBA, and, and it's not NFL alone, but too. a lot of the NBA guys and NFL guys, more so you hear than baseball, really, because a lot of money, I think, was thrown around in those two sports, and now baseball is kind of catching up in that respect. How many guys have just, their lives have been have, have gone from such great heights of fortune and wealth mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to really nothing, and, and having to, to scratch and scrape and 
scrap and claw for, for, for enough money just to get by. And you're right. It's the financial advice that Manny Machado needs now, or anybody. This is when people win the lottery. There's equally a number of, of stories about people who win the lottery, mm-hmm. and because of how they mishandle that instant fortune, their lives are but forever changed Here's the difference, for the worse. though. You win the lottery, you can do whatever you want. Manny Machado actually has to perform now and has the pressure of being really Does he good. Know? Well, maybe not in San Diego. Actually, he picked the perfect place. Sunny, beautiful Southern California on a team that really doesn't have that strong of a fan base. I mean, he, he's got the best of both worlds now, I guess. How hard does he have to? I mean, he's got the money now. But there is, I, I would imagine, there is pressure to it's back up be. my contract. And then how do they perform under that pressure? How, how does Manny Machado now perform? How does a person... Forget the sport. Even if you're not a sports person, take that out of the equation. How does a person perform when they've been given a deal? And here's another thing. It's public knowledge how much he's making. <laughs> Everybody knows. If somebody here at Radio City, at WTMJ, gets uh, they got a new contract deal for a... They back up the Brinks truck here to 720 East Capitol, and somebody gets a big deal. That That's not public knowledge. We, we don't even know it here in the building, let alone publicly... If you're making $300 million, if you are now the recipient of the largest deal, the largest contract in American sports history, <laughs> there's the pressure that goes with that, <laughs> yes, too, right? Yes. Unless you're Manny Machado. We'll see Unless you're Manny Machado. He runs out of ground ball. We'll see. Well, yeah. If he didn't run out the ground ball before, what's going to do now? Okay. That's a good conversation about wealth and sports wealth and why are we upset at, at, at our sports uh, icons for making a lot of money? And why aren't we more upset about Judge Judy raking it in? I am a big Judge Judy fan, by the way. Big fan. From the beginning. I think I watched her shows at the beginning. Do you know how Judge Judy was discovered, by the way? And I know we got to get to news. Was she on the bench and just... 60, uh, 60 Minutes did a feature on this judge in New York. She uh, worked the um, children's court, who was just so... She was so different from so many You can still, if you go to YouTube, just look up 60 Minutes Judge Judy. I think it's from the mid-90s, maybe late okay. 80s. And, and she was just so different in the way she treated uh, the, the, the parents and uh, some of the real you know, bums of, of fathers, if you will, that came into a courtroom trying to fight for custody for their kid. Just real, real dregs of society. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And how she treated them. It's exactly how she treats the people now on television. You, you think she's changed a lot? She hasn't. And so from that 60 Minutes, that, what, 10-minute feature on a 60 Minutes episode, I don't know if it was Ed Bradley who interviewed her. Anyway, from that, the producers in Hollywood said, you know what? She might make a great television judge. And by that point, Judge Wapner was getting old, I suppose. You you needed to move on from Wapner and (laughs) and Bailiff, Rusty the Bailiff. The backstory of Judge Judy is fascinating. She was who she was, even when there were no cameras in the courtroom. 60 Minutes finds her, does a feature, and now she's raking it in. Okay, there you have it. The background of Judge Judy. WTMJ, Good Karma Brands, and Versity Blood Center of Wisconsin need your help with the Good Karma Blood Drive at the Milwaukee County Zoo. It is next week. It is one week from today, February 26th. Stop by from 7 a.m. till 7 p.m. Give blood. Save a life. There will be food and parking for all donors. Plus, you'll also go home with a mystery bag and a ticket 
to a Brewers game. Maybe that ticket will be for the Padres and the Brewers. You can boo Manny Machado and his $300 million. For more info, go to WTMJ.com or text the word BLOOD to 414-799-1620. Okay. A Florida student, this is a 6th grader, so 11 years old, is um, facing misdemeanor charges after refusing to stand for the Pledge of Allegiance and creating a disturbance in the classroom, that according to the police report. He's a 6th grader from a Tampa suburb, allegedly told his substitute teacher that the flag is racist and the national anthem is offensive to black people. This is according to Bay News 9, citing a statement the teacher gave the district. I'm going to share with you one of the news reports from a local uh, uh, Tampa area news outlet. We'll come back and uh, on the other side and get your reaction. And then I have a question that popped to my mind uh, when I read this story and heard this report. A sixth grader at Lawton Childs Middle Academy was arrested and taken to a juvenile detention center charged with disrupting a school function and resisting arrest without violence. It's a decision that's not sitting well with the student's mother, Dakira Talbot, who says her son is in gifted classes and has been bullied at the school before. I'm upset, I'm angry, I'm hurt, um, more so for my son. My son has never been through anything like this, and I feel like they should have handled this differently. The February 4th incident started when a substitute teacher asked the 11-year-old boy to stand up for the pledge. He reportedly told the substitute teacher the flag was racist and the national anthem was offensive to black people. In a statement to the district, the substitute teacher reported telling the 11-year-old boy why, if it was so bad here, he did not go to another place to live. She said he then said, they brought me here. And she said she told him, well, you can always go back because she was from Cuba and the day she felt unwelcome here, she'd find somewhere else to live. She was wrong. She was way out of place. The substitute teacher then wrote she called the office because she, quote, didn't want to continue dealing with him. According to the arrest affidavit, the student was arrested because he refused to follow multiple commands, repeatedly called school leaders racist, and was disruptive. They said he threatened to get the school resource officer and principal fired and to beat the teacher. An accusation, he says, is just not true. I want the charges dropped and I want the school to be held accountable and the officer for what happened because it shouldn't have been handled the way that it was handled. Okay, there is the report. And, and you're right, Eric, and you said this off the air here, but uh, you're right. This student was arrested and the police were called in because of his words and actions afterwards. It, this is not, it, the, the headline is a little misleading. Um, he didn't, it's not that he stood for the Pledge of Allegiance and then you're not standing, I'm calling the Cuff police. Him, yeah, no, right. it, it's what happened after. So do you understand how this played out? This child does not stand. This is a substitute teacher, which I think plays a role in all of this as well. You know, the, the the substitute teacher says, we can always go back. I came here from Cuba, she says, and the day I feel I'm not welcome here anymore, I would find another place to live. Alvarez, the teacher, says she calls the office because I don't want to deal with him anymore. Then an officer and a school administrator to try to calm the student down. The administrator asks him to leave the classroom more than 20 times. The student 6th grader, 11-year-old, allegedly makes threats while being escorted to the office. Police then take the child from the school to a juvenile assessment center. They charge him with disrupting a local function, resisting an officer without violence. 
course, officers, the, the report details, again, would not arrest a student for not standing during the pledge, again, but in general would arrest a student for screaming, yelling, and making threats. We heard from the boy's mother. She wants the charges dropped, denies the arrest affidavit, accusing her son of threatening to beat the teacher. She was wrong. She was way out of place, says the mom, as you heard right there. First Amendment rights prevent the school from requiring students to recite the pledge or salute. Um, should we act into that story? 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620 on the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'm curious if you have a similar question that I had. 414-799-1620. Headline a little misleading, certainly. And that's a fair question to ask as well. But something else struck me about this. 414-799-1620. We'll go to you next. 1245. Scott Warris and Eric Bilstad. Jeff Wagner is off this week. He'll be back on Monday. Kyle producing the big program. Discussing this story out of the Tampa area in Florida where a sixth grader is arrested after refusal to participate in the Pledge of Allegiance led to the confrontation. Now, again, he wasn't arrested because he did not participate in the pledge. It was because the, of the, uh, the confrontation. Well, that, that developed afterwards. He's charged with disrupting a school function, resisting an officer without violence. Sixth grader, 11 years old. Again, the unnamed boy charged with disrupting the school function. Citing a statement... They went back, he went back and forth with a substitute teacher. Why? Quote, the statement says, if it was so bad here, he did not go to another place to live. That's what the teacher said to the boy. What I do know, the mom says, is when she asked my son about it, he responded to her, enlightening her on his reasonings. It wasn't just that the flag is racist. I don't teach my children that the flag is racist. Here's where... The details get interesting, more interesting, I think. After the confrontation began, the school's dean of students tried to unsuccessfully calm the student down, asking him to leave the class 20 times. The school resource officer then intervened and asked the student to exit the classroom, and he refused. The student then left the classroom and created another disturbance and made threats while he was escorted to the office. The arrest was based on the student's choice to disrupt the classroom make threats, and resisting the officer's efforts to leave the classroom. Mom denies the son made the threats, says the school did not handle it the way it should have handled it. What do you think? What's your reaction to this? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Adam in Brookfield. Adam, you are up first on WTMJ. Yeah, good afternoon. Hello. To me, this is all about stupid parents not knowing how to treat their kids a proper level of respect for authority. If I would have done this, my late father would have beat me half to death before he pulled me out of the classroom. And it, 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 it has nothing to do with parents don't know how to raise their kids anymore, and they don't care, and they think their kid's poop doesn't stink. And <laughs> So and, you and, okay, So you go towards the... I mean, it's... It's how this child has been raised? Is that what you're yeah, saying that, yeah, that led him yeah, to this I, outrage? I, I, what, what grade was this kid in? Fourth Sixth, grade? Six. Grade. 11 years old. 11 years old? Yep. I mean, man, I, I feared my dad when I was in high school. Like, an 11-year-old kid doing that mm. to, a, to a parent? 
I mean, I love my father on his deathbed, but I still feared him. Okay. And there's a level of respect that's demanded, and it should be should be done. All right. All right. Appreciate the call, Adam. 414-799-1620 on the Akadan Mortgage Talk and Text Line. To Fred in West Bend, what say you, Fred? Well, um, a couple of things. That legally, the teacher was probably shouldn't have said what she said to the boy. Morally, I'm, you know, she was 100% right on. Uh, she lived in a foreign country, so she's speaking for from experience about what she did. And as far as the, the young man, um, <laughs> he, he talked like he had knowledge about certain things when he bought, when he started talking about racism and the mm-hmm. plague and stuff. He's got some knowledge from somewhere, some negative knowledge, but, um, there are, there should be a teaching on the flag and what it stands for. And, um, you know, I'm, my father, my brother, myself, and so many of my cousins are all veterans and lots of people died for that flag, black, white, uh, Hispanic. It doesn't matter. They, they died for the flag. And, and I think the young man needs to respect the flag. And what about and, uh, Fred? What about, what unfolded after? Okay, he does not well, stand. He does not I mean, pledge I mean, allegiance. Clearly, clearly, he clearly he wants to behave like an adult, um, and so he needs to see what adults get when they when they break the law. Okay, I think. And I don't have any problem with charging him. Uh, he should be charged absolutely. If he's not charged, he will probably get worse because he got away with it and he'll continue to behave the same way he behaved. Okay. Thanks for the call, Fred. Appreciate it. 414-799-1620. I'm going to ask you, Eric, you, the father of, of uh, children about this age, right? 11 years old, mm-hmm. sixth grade. That's in in, uh, in your wheelhouse, if you will. What do you think about how this was handled post-pledge, shall we say? Man, I am very sensitive to not being a parent who will try to get in the way and dictate and decide or complain or file a grievance on something that may have been determined in class, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? But after looking at this, I, I don't I would never want to be a substitute teacher. Like that sounds like the worst job ever, especially for middle school. And God bless you if you do that. But I would never want to be a substitute teacher. Like it, it, you, you don't know the rules. You, you're not quite sure how to handle each kid. You don't know the tendencies of each kid, and that takes some time to work mm-hmm. out. Ask any teacher; they know which ones are the ones they got to figure out a little bit different and speak to differently and kind of work the nuances. Mm-hmm. No, thank you. My gosh, stronger man than me could do that, or woman. Michelle in Waterford, the brat deserves what he gets. Jeff, Fox Point, I think students who threaten teachers should receive criminal or juvenile charges. Mike in Waukesha, the kid was disruptive. This is on the text line here. The kid was disruptive, and therefore it was handled properly. Kids do not rule the teachers. Substitute notwithstanding. 414-799-1620. We'll take a couple more calls, and I'll tell you the question that I had, the immediate reaction I had to this story. 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620. we got some good calls coming in. Maybe we'll carry this over the news. Story out of the Tampa, Florida area. A child is arrested after he refused to stand for the Pledge of Allegiance. He's not arrested because of that. 
But afterwards, there was a confrontation between a sixth grader, 11 years old. I think that is an important detail here. Keep in mind, 11-year-olds, sixth graders, what we're talking here. After a confrontation between the 11-year-old and uh, the dean of students, then the uh, school resource officer, and eventually police are called, and he's taken off to a, a juvenile uh, detention jail, or if you want to call it that, center, and now he's facing charges. 414-799-1620. Bernard in Milwaukee. Hi, Bernard. Uh, Where do you come down in this? I agree totally with the mother. With mom, okay. I disagree more with the previous callers. Why is that? Well, if it's not mandated by the school that you have to stand for the flag, what is her issue with him not standing? Did the regular teacher in ever have an issue with it? Did it? I mean, did it ever go back and forth with her? Why do you demand something that's not required by the school? And then to question him as to why he's not standing, I don't think it's any of her business if it's not mandated. And then to tell him, if you don't like this, why don't you go back to where you came from? Who tells an 11-year-old child to go back to where you came from when he says they brought me here? Just because she was grown or left Cuba for whatever reason doesn't mean that the privilege that she had is afforded to, to him. Who tells him that? She escalated this issue. It could have easily been diffused if he, if, she, if he didn't want to stand. She could have just let him sit. It's not mandated, apparently, because that's not the reason why he was arrested or moved from the classroom. She escalated this issue. All right, Bernard, I appreciate that. 414-799-1620. So there is comment from the other side saying that uh, where is the adult in this room? Before the dean of students walks in, before the resource officer walks in, before the police are called, who was the adult in the room? At the time, just the substitute teacher, the only adult at the time. Let's quickly squeeze in Greg in West Dallas. We've got about a minute, Greg. Where do you come down? I'm also on the side with the mom. Why is that? This, is, this has been Supreme Court law for over 75 years. Mm-hmm. The teacher should know she has no right to make him do this. And she escalated everything. If she had dropped a racial slur or insulted Trump in front of some student who was, who was against these things and he flipped out, would we be really arguing for anyone but the student in this matter? Thanks for the call, Greg. 414-799-1620. We'll get to some texts if you want to weigh in as well. And then, um, this is interesting. It's getting a little interesting now, isn't it? 414-799-1620. I, I do think that there is some responsibility by the teacher, in this case the substitute teacher, and we don't know if this student had prior back-and-forth interactions like this with the regular teacher, but certainly had it with the substitute. Could this be something that uh, never had to escalate the way it did if at one point the one adult in the situation had treated it differently? Hour number two of the Wagnerless Extravaganza. Scott Warris, Eric Bilstad. Still pouring through the Manny Machado contract. <laughs> What's just, in there? I'm just jealous. I'm just <laughs> jealous. 
And the Brewers got Moose, though, so what's the problem? Yeah, it's a good signing. It's a good signing. Might play second base. Well, you can never have enough bats. Everybody was worried about... Where, where's he going to play? Where's Shaw going to play? Just, you know what? You can never have enough good players on your team. You'll figure it out. And Craig Council sure as heck figured it out last year. Now he's got all spring training to figure it out this year. All right. Um, right before the news, uh, last few minutes, talking about this story out of Tampa, Florida. Sixth grader, 11 years old, arrest, arrested after failing to stand for the Pledge of Allegiance. That's not why the kid was arrested. It's because of what ensued afterward. The substitute teacher says, I'm sick of dealing with him. They had a little back and forth where the teacher said, because she apparently was from Cuba, if you don't like it, you can always go back because I came here from Cuba. The day I don't feel welcome, I'll find another place to live. So her and this sixth grader, 11-year-old, have a back and forth. Eventually, the teacher says, you know what, I've had arguing with you. I'm going to call the, the, the central office, the main office. The dean of students comes in. The dean of students apparently said after 20 times asking him to leave the classroom, the kid refused to go, calls in the school resource officer. Resource officer intervenes, asks the student to exit the classroom, still refused. Um, The student then left. I guess eventually they got him out of the classroom, created another disturbance probably in the hallway, made some threats. I can't can't get what exactly the threat was. Some sort of threat maybe to the, I think he threatened to to kill the teacher or some sort of bodily harm to the teacher. They call the police department. The kid is charged with a misdemeanor. The mom says, this is wrong. My son does not uh, deserve these charges. And we've been talking about it. Let's quickly rattle through some text text messages here on the text line. Mike from Fond du Lac. Whatever happened to the days when the school called a parent and said, come pick up your kid because he's misbehaving? I think the substitute teacher sure took it too far, and so did the rest of the administration. Aurora from Bayview. I agree with the mother. Where is the adult? The flag has been debated a lot lately. There should have been a discussion, not a power struggle. The substitute was wrong. Uh, Let's see. Casey in Watertown. I have a sixth grade daughter. There you go. I would never defend this action if she took it. If this child... Uh, does not learn how to navigate the school environment, what hope do we have of uh, he in the workforce? I tell my daughter, school is your job. You need to learn how to navigate. From the 920, I love how some people blame the teacher for this child's behavior. How about the parents who raised him to be this disrespectful? From the 262, it is parenting. The child should go to Watertown with my son, who is out of control but is seen as a victim when faced punishment for being verbally abusive. All right. Carla from Milwaukee. One more. This situation, and this is well written, by the way. This situation was handled wrong from the start. The substitute should have just allowed the student to be there and addressed it later on with the head of the school, the dean, and the parents if she had an issue. An 11-year-old is still a child and is obviously acting on influences from his life. Children react emotionally, and he should not have been arrested. Since it happened, they should have a conference with the parents and the school, possibly guidance counselors, social workers, discuss why this kid has such a serious anger issue, negative issue with authority and or patriotism, if he is aware of the meaning. Matters like this with children need to be handled sensitively to prevent worse things happening in the future as a result. Well, sad again, Carla from Milwaukee. Okay, I saw the headline, first of all, and I said, wait, what? 
arrested for refusing to stand for the pledge. This headline is very misleading. That's not exactly what happened. And they'd be a little more responsible than that, but it got me to click on it. And it made the headlines, obviously. It made national news. Sixth grader, and I've, I've, I've tried to ampl- amplify that detail. Sixth grader, 11-year-old. The fact that at the end of this all, and I'll start at the back and work my way, you know, in reverse. The fact that at the end of it, a sixth grader, an 11-year-old, was arrested is absolutely absurd. That that is how this whole ordeal was resolved. With an 11 grader, uh, 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 I'm sorry, an 11-year-old, a sixth grader, in lockup. That is how this whole thing ended? How many adults were involved along the way? So now let's kind of go backwards here. You had, prior to the arrest, you had the school resource officer come in. There's an adult, intervened, asked the student to exit the classroom, and he refused. Then there were threats made. He was arrested. Before that, you had the dean of students, 20 times apparently, according to the report, asked the student to calm down, asked him to leave the room. So you had another adult involved. And then you go back to the original instance, you have the teacher, this substitute teacher who, for whatever reason, and I don't know the age of the substitute teacher, I have a feeling that if uh, she was younger, there's a higher likelihood is, is, that, is that a foolish thing of me to, to believe? The younger the teacher, the more likely, the maybe more inexperienced that they're going to get yeah, into. Perhaps. What are you perhaps. doing getting into a back and forth with a sixth grader about patriotism and standing for the flag? And what are you doing saying something like, well, if you don't like it, why don't you go back to where you were from? I'm from Cuba, and if I don't like it, I'll go back to where I, where I came from if I get sick of this country. All right? So on its face... I say, how in the world did this end up with an arrest of a sixth grader? Secondly, how many adults, teacher, dean, resource officer, were involved before the cops were called? Why wasn't mom called? Listen, uh, mom, your son is out of control right now. Please come to school. Haul him out. Take him home. However, now, I, I... if, if I, I'm upset on both sides, and I guess I, I understand you're supposed to either be pro or con or like it or hate it or A or B. I, I think the adults failed in this situation, could have handled it a lot better. On the other hand, I clearly understand why they called them. What else are you supposed to do? You know dang well you better not put your hand on mm-hmm. him right. and try to physically remove him from school. What else should they have done at this point when you've had the teacher, who I think screwed up by escalating instead of de-escalating the situation, you had the dean of students come in, you had the resource office, what else, what else should we do? Put yourself in that position. Yes, we can argue whether or not you should be in that situation in the first place, and it could have been stopped any step along the way. But now, now we're in it. Now it has escalated. Okay, what are we supposed to do? Call the cops? What else can you do at that point? So I, I understand why cops were eventually called, but that doesn't mean I can agree with the fact that it got to that point and the kid was eventually arrested. That can I play sense. both yeah. sides of the fence? Because I really feel <laughs> yes, both ways. Can. I mean, at some point you have to deal with the reality of the situation escalating to where it did. That doesn't mean that the teacher's not at fault for allowing it to get to that point, but it got to that point. I don't agree with the idea of like, oh, we got to call the parent because I'm, 
at some point, you just got to deal with the asset that you're dealing with, and you use your tools that you have, whether that's an SRO, whether that's other officers, whatever, whether it's the dean. Not everything is about, okay, I got to call the parent and bring in mom now to handle their crazy kid who's causing some issues in a classroom. Can you imagine if my phone, my kid's in sixth grade, if my phone rang right now and the principal said, hey, your kid is acting up, we need you to come in. I, uh, well, I'm at least a half hour away to start. No, you would say, hey, okay, well, do what you need to do to, to get the kid under control. I'll see you when I see you. I, I just don't understand how that's on the parent to come and then restrain the child or to help get the child to relax. At that point, you got to go with who you got. And if that's the police, then yes, that's the police. Yeah, unfortunately, that, if the kid is going to act up that much. And another point made by the 262 on the text line, 414-799-1620, Academic Mortgage Talk and Text Line. How about the other side? The child made threats. And again, right, I, don't, yes. I don't have the, and shame on me, I can't find the specific threats. But uh, one of them was about uh, the, the welfare of the teacher. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to beat you up. I know that that was one of them. Uh, anyway, how about the other side? The child made threats. What happens if he acts upon that and you don't call the police? Right. People would be complaining that they took it as an idle threat. It's really in a no-win situation. Once the situation has reached that pinnacle of, of emotion and you've got the adults and the child going at it and arguing, what else are you supposed to do? I can't fault them for calling the cops, but that doesn't mean I'm happy with the fact the cops were called. You're giving me a weird <laughs> look. No, it's just ridiculous. Like, you hear what, you, hear what you're saying. I, I just can't. Can you fathom in a million years ever being in a classroom with this happening? Uh, I bet you we got some teachers oh, out I'm there, sure former right. teachers who can. Yeah, I'm me sure you're right. Yes, you can. I fa- no, I be- can't even. Fa- no, I can't. Because I. Wh- I cannot see myself getting into an argument with a sixth grade student and 11. I'd like to think I'd be the adult, literally and figuratively, in the room. <laughs> but if you were the kid, too, have you ever seen anything like this? I mean, I, obviously, everyone comes from a different background. Every school is different. Every situation has its own set of uh, entities that cause issues and don't. I, I just can't. I, 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 this all starts from a Pledge of Allegiance that goes wrong. It ends up getting escalated by a sub. The The kid starts making threats, and all of a sudden you have cops and cuffs and everything. But else. what else were they to do all at right. that point? Yeah. Once once it's reached critical mass, what do you do? You cannot put your hand on There was a time where a school resource officer or dean of students or before that even teacher, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there was a time, grabs the kid little, by the arm, drags him. Well, okay, or or that, get out the paddle. <laughs> Back in the day. I mean, day. you really want to go there. But I was going to say just grab him by the arm and physically drag him to the principal's office or somewhere to remove him from this. Teacher didn't do that, wasn't going to do that, felt threatened. There's a lot in this if you actually break down this situation and how it unfolded. There's a lot there, and, and, and I think there's plenty of fault to be laid. This is not necessarily a black or white issue, a right, wrong, that was good, that was wrong. There's fault to go around. Of course. Once of it course. escalates and the cops are called, what else could you do at that point? I don't know. Well, Ellen and Lamar, hang on the line, we'll come to you next. Ellen, who used to work for MPS, and uh, we'll get her perspective in a moment. It's 119. Scott and Eric in for Jeff on WTMJ. The 262. Clearly heard me only halfway through the rant. Go teach a day in middle school. You have no idea. I know I don't have any idea. I'm just saying a teacher, an adult, could probably handle the situation better than arguing with a student 
about the pledge of with a, with a sixth grade student about the pledge of allegiance. That was the first mistake. Once you get the dean and all this other stuff involved, and and the kids make what, what else are you supposed to do? You can't touch the kid. How else are you going to get him out of the room if he refuses to go? Call the cops. It, it sounds absurd, but. What else is a teacher supposed to do at that point? Right. I don't like the fact it's gotten to this point, but in 2019, yeah, go ahead, put your hand on the put your hand on the kid. I get, I guarantee you, we're still talking about the story, just a whole different angle. Okay, promised uh, we'd get to Lamar and Ellen. First up, it's Ellen in Whitefish Bay. Ellen, you bring some perspective here as a former educator. Yes, I was a school social worker in the Milwaukee public schools for 16 years, and so. And I worked in a um, K-6 school, mm-hmm. kindergarten through sixth grade, which eventually turned into a K-8 school. Um, what we would have done, first of all, is um, get somebody in the room. I think a huge part of this was the fact that it was a sub-teacher. He had no relationship with this person, no trust, no background. And so uh, the temptation to go ahead and act out was was powerful. I think that was number one. Number two, once it started, I think there needs to be a better way to signal when a teacher needs help um, than than um, what's currently currently available. So what I what probably what I would have done is probably uh, ask one of the other students to. Go to the principal's office, or you know, just call him up, right. give him a note, and send send somebody to the office to get help. That's the second thing I would have done. I would not have challenged the student so much right then and there. I don't. You, that just seems silly. Why are you getting into a debate, as heated as the topic may be? Why are you even looking to debate a sixth grader? You 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 can't because no. you're not you're not going to win. First of all, everybody's you know. She had no. She had no credibility with the student. That was number one. Number two, um, there there are certain things you know, school safety, et cetera. There are rules for school safety. Ellen, let me ask you this because I got to yes. move on to Lamar. Yes. In the end, once it has escalated, do you have any problem with the cops having been called? Once it got to that point where dean, school resource officer, teacher, kids making threats, kid isn't leaving the classroom. What other recourse is there? Well, if you can't reach a parent, if you cannot reach a parent or a guardian or a relative or anybody else who has any influence with him, we used to have what we called school safety officials. Well, but that's kind of like the school resource officer. Well, but they're part of the police department. Right. And so, yeah, Yeah. if a student is out of control and is threatening to, you know, specific threats to hurt themselves or somebody else or hurt the teacher... You don't have much choice. Mm-hmm. You don't have any other choice. The other thing is, is she had no background. The teacher, sub-teacher, had no background to previous behavior. I can't, you know, I don't know if this child has ever had any problems in the class. Yeah, that I don't know. And, Ellen, i got to cut you off because I, I promised we'd get to uh, Lamar. Lamar in uh, Orlando, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Lamar. How are you doing? Thanks for my call. I don't know if you mentioned this, but the substitute was subsequently fired and not allowed to be at that district anymore uh, because of the way this was handled. And I'm, I am extraordinarily disappointed. I have subbed uh, down here a few times. I'm disappointed from start to finish. First of all, the sub did challenge the kid and clearly upset this kid. And according to local reports, this kid does not have discipline, pr- mm-hmm. prior disciplinary issues. So whatever that sub, the exchange between the kid and the sub really set this kid off. 
Now, am I am I am I disappointed that police were subsequently called? Well, yeah, because they I, I think that this kid was pushed to a to a to a point that he shouldn't have. Should that kid have made threats? No. Should the kid place you know um, responsibility for those threats? Yes. Should the kid have been charged? No. And I think the school resource officer also failed because the school resource officers are uniformed officers uh, here in uh, Orange County, Orlando. Mm-hmm. They're all Orange County Sheriff's Department officials, and they all typically have a relationship with the kids, and they know them. Mm-hmm. They usually the ones they're there to not make arrests, but to kind of keep the peace. And they should have had had enough a relationship with the kid to get the kid to, to calm down. So based on that, knowing number one, this kid didn't have any prior major issues. That tells me that that's not really. Really, really, you know, push this kid. Yep. And I, Lamar, I, 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 I got to let you fly. Lamar, I got to let you go. No, you, you make a good point that substitute teacher is not going to has been let go, and uh, will not be having uh, any other substitution assignments in this school district. Again, adults let this kid down in the end, and it should never have escalated to that point. But once you get to that point, as 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 rightly or wrongly as you feel, police should have been called. Put yourself in that situation. What? Would you do once it's gotten to that point? Threats have been made. Can't touch the kid, that's for sure. What would you do? I think in this instance, the police were only the natural step. Now, you could argue whether or not charges should be filed. That's another step, maybe a little bit too far. At 136. Scott and Eric in for Jeff. This, uh, I share this next story with you just to, unfortunately, remind people who think that uh, racism, there, there are cries for, there are cries of racism throughout this country all the time, and I think sometimes wrongly so. And what bothers me the most about cries of racism that aren't racism, that that isn't racism, I should say, is that it does a disservice to true examples of this type of hate. It is disingenuous to examples of true racist behavior, racist words, and in this case, racist writing. This is racism. An Alabama newspaper, an editor of an Alabama newspaper, is calling for the Ku Klux Klan to clean out D.C. As the story goes, the editor of a small-town Alabama newspaper published an editorial calling for the KKK to ride again against Democrats in the Republican Party and Democrats who are plotting to raise taxes in Alabama. This man's name is Goodloe Sutton. Goodlow Sutton. He's the publisher of the Democrat Reporter newspaper in Linden, Alabama, and confirmed on Monday that he authored the February 14th editorial calling for the return of a white supremacist hate group. Here's the editorial. He writes, the headline is, The Klan Needs to Write Again. I... It's just, it's surprising, it's, it's, it should be shocking, but maybe I shouldn't be surprised. I don't know, maybe I'm naive that way. Here's what he writes. Time for the Ku Klux Klan to night ride again. 
Democrats in the Republican Party and Democrats are plotting to raise taxes in Alabama. They do not understand how to eliminate expenses when money is needed in other areas. This socialist-communist ideology sounds good to the ignorant, the uneducated, and the simple-minded people. People who do not understand the Constitution do not like to be responsible. Slaves just freed after the Civil War, were not stupid. At times, they borrowed their former master's robes and horses and rode through the night to frighten some evildoers. Sometimes they had to kill one or two of them, but so what? This is the same so what used when Democrats got us into World War One and World War Two. Then they got us fighting in Korea. Next, when the industrial Northeast wanted more money, they got us in the Vietnam War and now into the Middle East War. If you haven't noticed... They did away with the draft so their sons would not have to go into battle. And he closes with this. Seems like the Klan would be welcome to raid the gated communities up there. They call them compounds now. Truly, they are the ruling class. He writes, he says, if we could get the Klan, this is in an interview, if we could get the Klan to go up there and clean out D.C., we'd all be have been better off. As to elaborate what he meant by cleaning up D.C., he suggests lynching in this interview after he fesses up to writing this editorial. He says, (laughs) We'll get the hemp ropes out, loop them over a tall limb, and hang all of them. When asked if he felt it was appropriate for the publisher of a newspaper to call for the lynching of Americans, he doubled down on his position. He says, quote, It's not calling for the lynching of Americans. These are socialist communists we're talking about. Do you know what socialism and communism is? I read from you the uh, I read you the uh, the editorial itself. Sutton says he didn't know any clan remaining in the area, stating most died out after the 1960s. He welcomed people to call him, write him a letter, or boycott him. I think that's going to happen, by the way. He's worked at the papers in '64, inherited the publication from his father. Sutton and the newspaper received national acclaim in the 1990s for their reporting on a corrupt local sheriff, incidentally. In 2015, he ran a headline, Selma Black Thugs Murder Demopolite Saturday Night. At that time, the paper had about 3,000 subscribers. Linden is located about 100 miles due west of Montgomery near the Mississippi border. To the point of being a newspaper editor writing this, he says, as a newspaper editor myself, it's disturbing to see this type of editorial printed. Somebody said via email, granted, I'm the editor of a student newspaper, but uh, this is Chip Brownlee, by the way, editor-in-chief, managing editor, respectively, at the Auburn Plainsman. So they're getting other perspectives now from uh, this this, uh, field of expertise. Granted, I'm the editor of a student newspaper, but all newspapers should be held to the highest ethical and moral standards. Editorials should be about new ideas, constructive criticism, and opinions backed up by facts. To call for the return of domestic terrorism, no matter its form, is counterproductive and wrong. It's important to welcome and encourage differing abuse, but, uh, opinions, but violence is never right. Maybe I, maybe silly me for, for being surprised at this, but it, it's, it's sadly, and the reason I bring it up, is just sadly another reminder that there are pockets of true racism in this country. And again, when there are claims of racism that really aren't, when uh, some people use... Well, that racism as an accusation to quiet and stifle opposition and other debate. You're doing a disservice to moments like this where you can stop 
Look at a situation. Look at Goodlow Sutton, the publisher of the Democrat reporter newspaper in Linden, Alabama, who writes an editorial saying the Klan needs to write again and say this is racism. And it does a disservice, too, to, to journalism, I think, to newspaper, to anybody who works in that business, does it not? I mean, it, it, it's, it's shocking by its candor. But maybe it shouldn't be shocking that it does exist. Well, isn't it amazing how easily and simply someone can speak in this way or publish something in this way where they can put their name on something like this? Like that, it's just. Uh, and, and, and then proudly do follow up yes, interviews yes. saying, yes, I wrote this, yeah. I said this. It just, again, maybe I'm naive, but seeing something this bold and this brazen by a newspaper editor is kind of like a bucket of cold water in my face going. This this really exists, and sadly so. So it's out there. It's important when it happens. We call it out for what it is. This is racism. WTMJ, Good Karma Brands, and Versity Blood Center of Wisconsin need your help for the Good Karma Blood Drive at the Milwaukee County Zoo. This is next Tuesday, one week from today, the 26th. Stop by from 7 a.m. till 7 p.m. to give blood, save a life. There will be food and parking for all donors. Plus, you'll also go home with a mystery bag and a ticket to a Brewers game. For more information, go to WTMJ.com or text the word BLOOD, B-L-O-O-D, to 414-799-1620. Now, tell me this is a baseball uh, rumor mill. What, what, well, uh, I, I saw this you got, coming. You got something happening. So now? Manny Machado, uh, the big story today was that he signed a ten-year, three hundred million dollar deal with the Padres. Well, the Padres still have one of the lowest payrolls, even with Machado Remarkable. now in the books, and they are not ruling out. It's still a possibility that the other big fish, Bryce Harper, could also end up in Southern California with the San Diego Padres. Now, that's not, that's not a done deal or anything even close to that yet, but it's something that is not being ruled out Could you imagine today. that? If they get both of them, that would be great. Again, I see everything through a Brewers yeah, fan lens. Yeah, go, go disappear in Southern California. I mean, shy of being in the American League. Right, right, right. That's about as good as it would get. Put him in one of the other mm-hmm. divisions. Yep, yep. Away. Plus, you still got to battle with the Dodgers. I mean, yeah, I realize that even if you have Machado and Harper, you're 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 right there. But still, you, you still have some competition in that division. Oh, that would be sweet. I'm still paranoid that the Cubs are going to do something, and <laughs> they're gonna at the last second, up. yes, and Theo Epstein and those guys, they, they they find ways. And I know uh, uh, the Ricketts yesterday, the ownership of the Cubs said we don't have money. That's why we're not making a move because we're out of money. We have to pay the guys we have. Uh, I just, I, I just, I, I'm paranoid that the Cubs are going to do something Cubsy. And again, see everything through a Brewers fan lens. I get lens. it. I get it. All right, just a couple of minutes before two o'clock, and and, and this this kind of ties in. I think you could maybe say or maybe claim to that last story um, that I read from uh, the story out of Alabama uh, with that very racist um, editorial by a newspaper editor. How about this one? Tell me what you think about this. Is this racist or is this simply? chronicling history there's a small town in maryland tanny town we'll call it tanny town maryland they're hoping that they're, they're constructing a big civil war memorial and uh, they're hoping to build a, a big tourist destination get some tourist dollars a little cha-ching here off okay. this and it, it, it's a part of the memorial is going to feature a large portrait of john wilkes booth 
presidential assassin, John Wilkes Booth. The report uh, in the Washington Post says that the city council of Tannytown has now su- thrown its support behind the proposed monument, which was designed by a sculptor who in 2016 organized a rally to protect the Confederate flag in Pennsylvania. So file that away, by the way. Uh, there was one member on the council who is opposed to the monument, saying he fears it'll make the city a lightning rod for criticism. This councilman, the lone dissenting vote, the lone dissenting voice said, to think you'd put a portrait of John Wilkes Booth that's the same size as Lincoln, as Grant, here? I just can't support that. Booth's family didn't even want to mark his own grave. Remember that, by the mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. Supporters of the memorial believe it will not be pro-Confederate will instead aim to tell both sides of the American Civil War. Town officials hope that the memorial will attract buses and tourists and bring prosperity to their small town. Why, why does it have to be considered a memorial, at least his piece of it? It's John Wilkes Booth. He shot the president. Can't we just have him in, on the side somewhere saying, hey, here, by the way, here's this guy? Why does it have to have the same... Why both, does it have to be the same size? Yeah, yeah same everything. Oh, well, we've got to tell both sides. Not, he shot the president. He shot him and killed him. He's an assassinator of one of the the country's best commander-in-chiefs. And we're going to give him big old top Billy? No. You can, obviously, you can mention, you can learn about it. But does it have to be side-by-side? Side next? To, why does it have to look like a CNN or a cable news thing where I look up and I see both faces right there looking at me? It shouldn't be that way. So so, so the size is, is what well, bothers, a little bit, why, why, bothers you. Yes. Why, and by the way, here's the, the one of the most... Terrible people in the country's history. Only one person on the city council is is against this. The 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 quote that I read. To think you'd put a portrait of John Wilkes Booth that's the same size as Lincoln as Grant here. I can't support that. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's just do this quickly. What's your reaction to this? Does this bother you? Would this be bothersome to you that a portrait? Uh, the the figure of John Wilkes Booth at this proposed site and this proposed tourist yeah, destination. What's next? A statue? You're going to throw a statue up of him? 414-799-1620 on the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. At 154, apparently nobody is offended. Nobody called in. So no, nobody is offended by this, which is, which is, which is like... Um, I'm not that upset about this. Uh, should I be? I have never been to the JFK site of of, of the assassination there in Daly Plaza in Dallas. Have you been in, to his grave in D.C.? With the flame? I, wa- I was. I think as a kid. I vaguely remember it. But I'm just curious what is, what is in Dallas regarding um, uh, Oswald. I mean, again, the story is out of this tanny town, Maryland. They're building a massive Civil War memorial, and as part of it, a large portrait of uh, John Wilkes Booth. That's what they're adding to this, or, or they, they want to have it part of the deal here. Some people aren't upset. One council member is not upset about this. To think you'd put a portrait of John Wilkes Booth that's the same size as Lincoln, as Grant here, I just can't support that. Isn't that part of the history, though? Yes, it's part of the history, but why do you need... This? Isn't that part of of this is who he was, and, and you tell the story of, of John Wilkes Booth? Or 
Is it because it is so far removed that maybe people aren't as passionate about it? Although you could make the same claim for a lot of those Confederates. I mean, isn't that the argument that was made in the South over the last couple of years? All these Confederate soldiers, Hmm. statues that have been torn down? It just seems a little silly if it's, if they, and I don't know, I, I haven't seen the specs. So I don't know if they're exactly the same or if it's like, here's Lincoln Owen, by the way, here's this guy. Or if it's just, if you're going to tell the history and you want to show a picture of a guy, sure. I, I don't have a problem with that. However, if it's supposed to be like his way, the other way, here's the president, here's this other guy, equal billing, you know, <laughs> that type of thing, that's silly. He assassinated the president. Okay. He should not deserve okay. that. Okay. All right. So let's take the Confederate element out of this. Just take that and and what the Confederacy stood for, stands for. If you take that out of it, does that matter at all? The fact that he assassinated a president, should that diminish his role or his appearance or his recognition inside a historical facility here in Maryland? And I, Well, here's a question. I've never been to the Reagan museum but is there a giant exhibit for john hinckley over there hmm. or is he even mentioned i assume it is because that was part of his presidency surviving that assassination attempt can you tell the story of the man without doing so in a way that could be considered as honoring him yes yes i think so mike in west Dallas, you bring up an interesting uh analogy perhaps <laughs> what do you got mike Oh, my opinion was that um, they know what they're doing. They're celebrating or whatever, commissioning, using taxpayer money to celebrate the guy that freed the slaves. They know what they're doing. Um, and second, if that's the case, why don't we build Osama bin Laden statues next to 9-11 memorials, too? Thank you. Thanks, Mike. Um, is that is – well, you're nodding your head. Is, that's is an that interesting point. That's, well, it's, it's not necessarily the same thing. But you wouldn't do that. No, no, obviously it's you not going to happen. So why uh-huh. is this okay? If you were, God forbid, this would happen again someday. Do you right. think they would put up a picture of a, a portrait of the shooter? Well, but again, this wasn't at sight. Um, hmm. You have to be able to tell the story of history. You have to be able to tell that. And if it's in pictures and imagery, fine. Uh, but you have to be able to tell that story and yet walk up against the line of offending people whereby I'm offended that, that the the John Wilkes Booth portrait is the same size well, as Abraham and, Lincoln's No, and, and I'm with you. And, you. and you know me. I'm not, I'm not that guy right. to like easily get upset or fired up about things like this. I'm just saying that if you're going to set up a site where you're going to have you know, Lincoln Yeah, it it makes for an interesting uh, debate, doesn't it? I never knew that was in his theme song. Ooh, yeah, baby. I didn't know that there were... It's like a subliminal message. I hadn't picked up on that before. Interesting. Interesting. Things you hear when you're in this spot, in this seat. Scott Warris in for Jeff, Eric Bilstad, Kyle producing. 
Uh, it's 2.09. We've got about an hour left, and then uh, John and Melissa take over. Uh, this interesting uh, proposal in California. <laughs> How many times does the topic start with, hey, look at this interesting proposal in California. <laughs> Every proposal in California is interesting. Uh, a no-speed limit lane. Let's get to that in a second. But first, as we, we've been hearing throughout uh, the day, uh, and uh, we did again in that newscast, might the stadium sales tax actually sunset? Well, you know, pump the brakes on that. Well, I'm, no, but I, I'm, I'm asking. Well, the... so here's the deal. Now, the the latest report looking into the matter, the the most recent study, said sometime next year, maybe mid 2020, something around there. Now, we've heard studies like this before, though. We've seen this come up where hey, it's going to end in 2014, <laughs> and, and here we are. Um, so there's that. But the new angle to this now, and that's why um, the Stadium District Board Executive Director was on with Gene this morning, Mike Duckett, was because lawmakers in Madison are now currently circulating a bill to end it cold turkey at the end of the year. The Band-Aid comes off, no more. Well, maybe we'll see. It would be, nope, you're done. Sales tax over. So Van Wangard and Tim Carpenter, state senators. Bipartisan uh, group. Rep Bob, is it Whitkey? Whitkey. I think. Anyway, could wow. What are people going to complain about after that? <laughs> I mean, I, there are still, and I, I'll bet you right now, I'll bet you right now, if we said, let's do this. Let's do this right now. Let's do it right now. We are going to say it. 414 799 Akin and Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Right here in 2019, are you still upset about the one tenth of 1% sales tax? Stadium sales tax that went on or went into uh, in, into being in 1996. I know that still bothers a lot of you. Explain why you're still so upset about it all these years later. What is this? Uh, 23, six, 23 years later. There were some who left being a fan of baseball over that. Did not come back. That in the strike. We had that strike in what '94. Yes. Had the strike and then this, and after that. Many people I've spoken with in the past are like, I'm, I'm done. Now, the Brewers were in the NLCS last year, sometimes winning cures, everything. Who knows? Maybe not. Let me just do this as an experiment here. I, I, I believe, because do we not hear from people anytime you talk about some sort of sports-related topic and yeah, how much yeah. money, and you talked about Machado, and how much money the Brewers make, and mm-hmm, I'm still paying mm-hmm. one. Does anybody, is everybody over this? Is there anybody within the sound of our voices that is still upset all these decades later over one-tenth of 1% one sales tax? The revenue going uh, goes towards retiring the $200 million, $290 million construction debt, stadium maintenance, Maybe not. Nobody's calling. Did okay, you well, did you open up the phone lines? <laughs> Don't you love that? Let's open up. Open up. Like, what does that even mean? There had to be a time when a radio producer actually physically pulled a lever, hit a button, did open up the phone. No one's calling. Okay, good. Nobody is upset about it. I'm happy about that because I haven't been upset about it from the beginning. Now, I'm a baseball fan. I'm a Brewers fan. And I'm sure there's people out there who... Uh, I don't know. Maybe they're not. All right, good. We'll move on. You proved my point. Nobody cares about that. Good, because it's going to go away. So if you are upset, it's going to be gone soon, right? Well, we'll see. <laughs> like I said, pump the brakes on that. They haven't, uh, Nobody's mad. They Nobody's haven't, calling. 
They haven't said exactly when it'll be done. We'll see. A lawmaker in California... Don't call now. We're not taking your calls. Law, uh, on that. We'll take your calls on this. Lawmaker proposes a no-speed-limit lane on California highways. Think about this for a second. Huh? Holiday weekends, as uh, CBS 13 in Sacramento reports, holiday weekends in California bring traffic backups everywhere you turn, but a uh, state senator has a new bill on the table that will alleviate the problem. Why don't we provide people with vehicles the opportunity just to drive at 100 miles an hour? Get to San Francisco in a shorter period of time than a train would. SB 319 would require the DOT to build two additional traffic lanes on both sides. This is just absurd. On both sides of I-5 and Highway 99. Expansion would stretch from Bakersfield to Stockton. And no 65-mile-per-hour limit would apply. Wow. One resident of Sacramento says, I haven't really considered how crazy a lane with no speed limit would be. Morlock says his plan is more realistic than a high-speed rail still years away from being built, and it's better for the environment. If you look at what's happening in Germany, the freeway accidents on the Autobahn are a lot less than what's happening on our road. You're burning the fuel efficiently as opposed to sitting, just sitting in slow-moving traffic, waiting for one truck to pass another truck for 20 minutes. How much is that going to cost? Well... Moorlock, the state senator, doesn't know just yet. We've already paid for the right of way. We don't have to buy that. So now it's just how much per mile is the concrete going to cost? Hmm. (laughs) One resident said, that seems like it's a little too sweet to be real. Yeah. No too much for Californians to be able to to handle. Moorlock said there's still several details to work out, you think, including issues like whether to institute a minimum speed limit. So what do you think of that? I, you know what? I would If you gave me an extra lane on 94, I'll take it. I don't need to go 80 miles an hour, though. Just give me a carpool lane, something. I'll jump on that in a heartbeat. I just don't see how you could find an extra lane. Like, that actually blows my mind more than the actual driving whatever speed you want. 414-799-1620 on the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Think about this. A no-speed limit lane on California highways. Well, who does? Doesn't the autobahn have something like that? That is the autobahn. You can just do whatever you want. You go. I mean, there is a minimum. You can't go below a certain. Yeah, but you can. Well, that—that's exactly yeah, you know yeah. as as they made the point here, yeah. uh, in the article when it comes to that. If you look at what's happening in Germany, the freeway okay. accidents right. on the autobahn right. are a lot less than what is happening on our road, for example, in California. Hmm. Daniel and Racine, you're up first. Stick around. Uh, We'll get to you as well at 414-799-1620. Look, transportation, we're talking about transportation all the time. We talk about self-driving cars and and, and, uh, fast, high-speed rail. We got the trolley going downtown. What about this? Let me in my own car. Just let me go as fast as I can on one lane of the interstate. Is that an option? I love the fact that more people care about the more people, at least right now, care about California proposing a no speed limit lane than expiring the uh, the stadium sales tax. Yeah, uh, it's been twenty plus years in the sales tax. Well, 
that's what I kind of I would like to have think I would, would like to have thought that people have, have even if people who were upset about it have since moved on. But yes, we are indeed now talking about a no speed limit lane on a California highway. They're, they're thinking about it. they think about everything in California. But remember. Whenever something happens in California, it just takes a while for it to shift from left to right, from west to east. It'll slowly, those ideas slowly work their way across the country. Now, whether they're ever enacted or not is a whole other thing. Oh, but I nonetheless, can't, I can't yes. imagine how great that would be to talk about, like, the Autobahn here. Like, we'd have some kind of lane like that here. Like the, <laughs> How long would it take you to get to Chicago in one of those? In my miles? car? In your car, yes. <laughs> it's one thing if the limit is, is, you know, whatever you want to go at. It's another thing if your car can go at that particular speed. All right, I promised we'd start here with Daniel and Racine. Hey, Daniel. Hey, how you doing, guys? Now, you're from out there, or at least you used to live out in the California area. How would this work? Would this work? Well, I don't know if it would work because the merging issue would be a key factor there. I you mean, just better merge carefully. No, there ain't no careful in California. These people, they accelerate on yellow. <laughs> what the heck? You know, I mean, same way down in Houston. You know, you got big traffic highways. How are you going to integrate into a merge that fast without accidents? I mean, it would have to be elevated. Somehow. You would have to work through a lot uh, of... Um potential questions like the merging issue thanks daniel i appreciate it 414-799-1620 john in sussex you're on wtmj yeah give me another lane okay the first two right lanes for semis and okay. cars okay and then the far left lane like in illinois just for cars you ever drive illinois at two in the morning oh yeah I have. It's, it's autobound in the left. It lane. is. It is autobound, and you you drive through Chicago, and the emergency lane is is the passing lane. I mean, it's yep, yep. it's uh, it's every man or woman for themselves. Um, well, but but the the way you describe it, you would have to take away a current lane of traffic. I don't know well, if that would help. Right, you had another lane on the right side, and you just shift everything over to the right. Mm-hmm. Our, our ramps will become a right lane. Okay. You know, when the ramps on, it continues just like down in Chicago. Right. But then the thing is that if you got four lanes, you make the two like in Illinois. The two left lanes are for cars only, right? And the two right lanes are for trucks only, or trucks and cars because hmm. it's your exit lane too. Thanks for the call, John. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. It is interesting when you actually think about it. Would this not be more beneficial to the environment? Is this not a more green, especially in high population areas like Southern California? What is this not a green friendly proposal for everyone out there who is constantly cognizant of what's happening to the environment? If you can avoid. All that pollution from all the cars idling or just kind of slowly plodding along during the morning and the afternoon but rush hour, all it, that pollution into the air. Why wouldn't it get traffic, too? I don't understand why we just assume that everyone's going to just drive rhythmically together with no issues, everyone going the exact same speed. You know it's going to happen. You're going to get your CRV in there. You're going to be revving it up to 80, 85, 90, and then you're going to be stuck behind some 80-mile-an-hour car. <laughs> you're going to get some slowpoke driving <laughs> yeah. 80. Get out of the way. Would, you're going you 80. Know I'm right. Brad in Brookfield, you're on WTMJ. Yes. What um, do you think? I, sorry. What do you think? 
Oh, I've been on the Autobahn many times. Oh. And uh, really, the the restriction is at quite a bit. First of all, in Germany, what it takes to get your driver's license, and I'm going to add keep your driver's license, is much stricter than it is in the U.S. So that already limits your ability to go off the grid because if you do it once, you're done. Here, you don't. we don't do that. So that's the first thing. The cars over there are much different than they are here. You can't take a junker on the Autobahn because they won't let you. And that's part of the problem. Our, our end here, our mechanics, the roads, even the roads, they're thick. They are impeccably taken care of. And all those factors play into speed. Sure. And you can't even blink. You do 150 miles an hour and you've got a slight curve ahead, good luck blinking. You can't. You really have to understand the physics of taking a car at that speed and understand all the ramifications of anyone, even a hubcap flying off a car, which happened to me doing 120, you can't make any sudden move. It's that difficult. Our people are not ready for that, period. That definitely makes sense. Now, okay, Brad, I'm just curious. What is, is there a minimum on the auto? I, I'm, I'm assuming there's a minimum. You, you must go at least this speed on the Autobahn. Is that right? There isn't, isn't. They try to make it that way, but obviously they have to accommodate a wide age group as well. See, the other part of it is they are very good at etiquette. If you drive slow in the right lane, everyone gets that, and then you pass on the left, but then you go back on the right. Right. We kind of don't do that here, but that's how you accommodate it. Uh, same thing with trucks. All the trucks over there have flotation tires, so they don't beat the road up. You see them here a bit. And actually, I do think in California now that is a law that all the trucks have to have flotation tires. So, you know, they're getting it to a point, but there's so many factors into driving fast. I mean, I've taken a car actually at Road America and, and done that, too. And it, seriously, it's not what you think. There is definite apples and oranges compared. You can't just say, well, they do it in, like the article in like the California person. Well, they do it in Germany on the Autobahn. We could do it here. How fast have you gone, Brad? Uh, 250 kilometers an hour, which is roughly 150. Wow. Now, did you have to work up to that? I assume you had to work up to that just in order to handle the car and get comfortable well, with that. Well, okay, so the other side of that is this, and I will say I was very fortunate. Um, you rent the best equipment you can possibly rent because you are literally taking your life into your hands. So you, I got BMWs. The most, I think the biggest car I could rent was a, a 728, and that's a six-cylinder. Like I said, you can't rent an eight-cylinder if you're from out of country because they know you will kill yourself. So that's, that's what I mean. These are all the factors, and, uh, you know, it's well, fun to do. I don't think I would do it. I'm going to be getting near 65 this year, and I think I did this 15-some years ago when my reflexes were a little better, which is the other part. It's another Where aspect. Where you draw the line on your you know, how physical ability. Well, how fast, Brad, do you think most cars, just your standard Camry or your, your standard cars now could go? Could an Odyssey, <laughs> can, can it break 100 miles per hour? Um, yes, I think it could. But again, it's all based on, well, here, I'll just say this. If you want to take your car to Road America, there literally is a safety check. They will check all your lug nuts. They will check everything that can possibly fall off your car. So, you know, that's the big deal. Is Can a Camry do it? Sure. What year? Who's doing the maintenance? Who's doing a lot of other stuff? And I'm serious. You might want to get a hold of the people that run Road America. In my case, it was the Porsche Club. Call them. 
and they know Germany real well. They know cars real well, and and that might be a, a help, you know, moving forward mm. for your case here. Hmm. Interesting. Thanks, Brad. And uh, yeah, I, I don't think you can just kind of go cold into the autobahn or for this. There, there's a lot to go through. I, I don't think this will happen in California. I think it may be a good idea. I think there are other, as some texters have said, there are some. Um, uh, there, there are some areas and expressways in California that have some pretty liberal speed limits, but to say that they will have a no speed limit lane on some highways, I think there are just way too many safety concerns that would eventually crop up before actually it happens. It goes from idea to here we go. I think I would rather have a carpool lane. I don't need to go 140, but if I can get away from some of the traffic and kind of zip down on my own because I'm not stuck in that with my mannequin. How fast do you go in this? <laughs> your, your passenger buddy, your mannequin passenger. buddy. How fast would how, through Chicago? How fast do you go in those speed lanes? Or the, the uh, express oh, I, lanes? Uh, I, I mean, occasionally you can get up to 75 yeah, or 80. You're supposed, you're supposed, yeah, it's an express lane. Well, yeah, but it's not always express. You know that. Like sometimes yeah, it true. gets caught up. But yes, you can, you can get moving down there. 228, Scott and Eric in for Jeff on WTMJ. Yeah, yeah. 236, Scott Warris, Eric Bilstad in for Jeff on WTMJ. This week's Jeff Wagner Home Improvement and uh, Home Improvement Showcase is brought to you by Outdoor Living Unlimited. Extending your house into your yard with patios, decks, fire pits, outdoor kitchens, and lots of other great ideas for the ultimate backyard. OutdoorLivingUnlimited.com. Okay. Two minutes ago, I said, uh, call me a skeptic. I am a skeptic. And maybe it's an inferiority complex I have about this city in which I've been born, born, bred, raised, reside. I just... Until we officially hear the announcement from uh, Democratic uh, Party Chair Tom Perez that says Milwaukee is the host city for the 2020 Democratic National Convention, I just don't buy. I don't buy it. I, I don't think we're going to beat out Miami or Houston. Mm. And now, Eric, you say we have well, some news on that front, <laughs> yes. and it's not good. Well, no, we just the news we have is that the DNC committee chair Tom Perez says he'll choose the site by the end of this month. You know, there was some. We had our eyes on this week specifically that it would happen. Now they're saying this month, so who knows? That could mean, you know, they'll push it through the weekend. We'll see. That's the only real difference. Uh, Milwaukee still garnering buzz as the perceived favorite. Uh, according to Perez, each finalist still has a shot. Uh, he talked about Houston a little bit. Houston is trying to show that it can collect the private funding uh, without mm-hmm. leaning on the oil and gas industry. Um, Miami's issue is really the humidity and the traffic. That comes with what can be July in Miami. Milwaukee, smaller city with questions about its accommodation. So that's right. really the issue. Um, Charlotte, I guess, would be a, a comparable city. I think they've oh, held it size before. Wise yeah. to Milwaukee. Right. Right. Yes, Charlotte. Um, and where was it when you were there? When you and didn't you and Sykes go? Oh, well, that was Cleveland. Well, that's Cleveland. Yeah. So Which how did like, how did Cleveland handle it? Um, see, that's the thing, and I. The, the the images I still have of trying to navigate, and you really can't navigate, you can't navigate the downtown area with a vehicle. Like, that just simply will not happen. The best way to describe it, I would say, is you picture rings 
of security. So obviously, the Pfizer Forum is the epicenter, sure, right? Yep, Pfizer yep. Forum and Wisconsin probably Center. the Wisconsin yep. Center, but 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 that what three uh, three squares uh, block city block right three. three square blocks um of Pfizer Forum probably Panther Arena and then right next door to that is the Wisconsin Center the Bradley Center site will be vacant by then whatever right. but you basically will have that as the epicenter for all the activity and then you'll have a barricade of security and I mean barricades I mean high can't climb over fences um uh you know uh, a metal detector checkpoints only maybe two or three tents through which only credentialed individuals media or otherwise will be allowed to get through you have that center ring then you have a secondary ring of security maybe five blocks out whereby only certain credentialed members of the media and any any dignitaries and whatnot could get in um and then you have another ring of security Another nine, ten blocks. It. Re- I'll be honest. After seeing it up close and very personal a couple of years ago in Cleveland, if you have to work downtown, if you live downtown, if you have to have any business in the downtown area, good luck for that week. Because I, I, I don't know how you go about your regular business when this happens. Well, if this happens, here's a question. And I mean this seriously because I, I I think it's exciting to see something like this happen. Obviously, in our profession, that that's you know yeah. would be an exciting we see week. it through. Yeah, radio just, yeah, right, right, right. Eyes. But I'll, I will ask this: What's in it for the city? Meaning, not the attention that the city receives, but what's in it for the people that live downtown? What's in it for them? What Res- what what do, what do they get from this other than, at least according to what you just said, a huge I, hassle? Look, I have a tough time answering that question obviously the city profile is on the it, it, it is a super bowl it is the right. super and bowl i of say politics. that i i say that hoping so, that it comes i fully admit it would be an exciting thing to cover it'd be an it's amazing interesting week of uh the history of the city you're gonna get a sure. boom to business and restaurants oh, sure, yes, and all yes, that yes, stuff yes 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 now what but does if you live downtown john smith living in the third ward or something even closer maybe to Pfizer Forum, you think about uh, the modern and other right. condo complexes, apartment complexes that are pretty new. What what benefit is to them? Um, I'll tell you the benefit. <laughs> you Airbnb your, your, your property <laughs> yeah, right. and you head to uh, uh, San Juan yep, for a week yep. and a half or two weeks. I there don't... is something to be said for just just get away. And, and watch it all unfold on television. Oh, there's where I live. There's oh, there's Pfizer Forum. If you're watching it on television, it's great. But if you have to live through it, I, I I'm just I. Oof, where do you put something. the protesters? Because they would need to be in an area too. You have to find a spot for them. All the demonstrators. There are certain um, demonstration areas. And like I remember where the Bradley Center is now. Yeah, this is kind of yeah. That well, out. you could do that. I, I remember in Cleveland there were. One, maybe two or three city blocks that were quite literally penned off with fences. I'm like, what is happening there? And, and an officer said, that's where the protesters are going to be tomorrow. Um, so they just put them in. You just, just go to there. your protest area and, again, realize and recognize you will get pro. It doesn't matter what political course, party. Yeah, right. it, it, it's going to be every sure. whack job, yep. nut yep. job, coming out of the woodwork, signs. 
uh, you know, um, all, all kinds of uh, figurines on fire, things like that that you see before, you know, demonstrations at every political event. All that is going to happen. It, it's, it is a great thing for the city, by the way. Now, how, how in the world do you say that after what I just said of getting out of town? For the city, for the profile, for the economy, it is great. For sure. Absolutely. And Republicans, conservatives out there, do not poo-poo this. This is a good thing. And I'd say the same thing if it was a GOP convention. I would say Democrats and liberals don't say, we don't want this in our city. We don't. This is a good thing for the city. This is a great thing for the community, southeast Wisconsin, and the state as a whole. So try not to look at it that way. And I know that that's very difficult. But if you live here, like you say, Eric, if you live here, I don't know See, the, the, how it personally benefits you, other than the overall uh, revenue generating. If you try to compare it to something else, the I mean, you, you could compare. Well, else. what I guess I'm trying to think of something that Milwaukee's already hosted. I would say like the Harley anniversaries, you know, some of the big ones. But even that is hard to compare the two because you know a lot of that was done at Summerfest or in these different areas and Harley riders will come in from all over for the day you know what i mean they don't all just come and a lot of them do spend their whole that whole anniversary weekend downtown but a lot of them are just riding their bikes in from the they love coming cross country mm-hmm. coming from the rural parts of the state here i mean this everyone would be boom right here in the heart of Milwaukee it's different in the other or one of the other vivid memories i have of of the cleveland convention in 16 in addition to the way the different rings of security were set up and uh, the fences that were set up blocks long for protests and whatnot was the fact that Remember, each state obviously has a delegation mm-hmm. of whatever, however many people is in that particular state's allotment. They have to stay somewhere, and they all have to converge on the convention center every day for the business of the day, yeah. eventually leading up to the to the um, official nomination itself. I remember in, in Cleveland hearing of different delegations that, just by virtue of hotel space, were staying an hour, hour and a half outside of Cleveland. And so you start thinking, okay, I mean, the Delaware delegation is going to be staying out in uh, Sun Prairie. I would, I mean, Madison, right? Yeah. But maybe that, maybe that, that's part of Milwaukee's draw. You can have a not a major area, but but a pseudo major city like Madison, Handelson, Chicago. Yeah. Hello, yeah. Chicago, right. Green Bay, Appleton. You have these other. Somewhat large-ish cities that w- with a with a bit of a hotel footprint that can take on and accommodate because you got to remember all the people, just the, the the number of people that descend on the city, the delegations, the media contingent from around the world that Joe will Piscopal <laughs> and yeah, <laughs> everybody. Oh, it 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 would be amazing. It would be great for the city. But again, I said it before, I inferiority complex maybe that oh, we're, not, we're not good enough to host something like that. I'll believe it when I see it or when we hear it. Certainly Wisconsin's afternoon news with John and Melissa will have the very latest on that. Uh, gosh, that is just a sad story. Just wrapping up this real brief uh, conversation before we uh, get John and Melissa in here about uh, the DNC and whether or not the Democratic National Convention of 2020 will be headed here. 
Bernie Fever could be here. Sanders Palooza could be here. And again, I, I'll say the same thing now with Bernie Sanders as I did when Elizabeth Warren announced a couple weeks back. You missed your shot, right? I mean, will Bernie Sanders be ever any closer to capturing his party's nomination than he was last time around? And as we all learned last time around, it was going to be Hillary's no matter what he did. I mean, I, I just... I, I think of what Sanders and what Warren stand for and are touting, and it's been there, done that. And there are others now who are kind of taking the mantle from them, regardless of the fact that it's, uh, you know, in Bernie's case, socialism. We we know how that works out. But doesn't um, name recognition play a role in this? Just like the if Joe Biden were to throw his head into the ring, when you when you have the name recognition that Sanders has that Biden has, doesn't that bring them above half the list already, if not to the top, as far as name recognition, so then all of a sudden they are considered a front-runner? I don't know if they're... Yes. I mean, I don't know. But I don't even know if War... But Warren and Sanders aren't considered front-runners. You, have you seen them build as front-runners? I, I, I see them... You missed your shot. Bernie, you got to recognize that 2016, that was your shot. That was as... As good as it'll ever be for you. And look what you did. Look how close you came. And it wasn't meant to be, obviously. And Elizabeth Warren just seems tired. And Again, who from the Democrats at this point, who of these Democrats can seriously threaten the president? I have a heart. I mean, everybody loves Kamala Harris. It's Kamala, by the way. I saw an interview with her. Kamala. Kamala? Kamala? Kamala. I mean, everybody loves Kamala Harris. Sherrod Brown is somebody who I, I know there are some, like Chris Matthews, who tout Sherrod Brown. Uh, I think the biggest threat would be the name you said, Joe Biden, at this point. Joe Biden, I think, he, if Joe Biden gets into this race today, he is the immediate front runner. For that party's just, nomination. Just because of recognition. Yes. Even though you would think it would be an odd choice for him, given his age, the fact that he's a male and he's running against a bunch of women who are also running. And I know you want to say gender doesn't matter, but in many respects it does. And the strategists think of this when they're trying to figure out how they can help them campaign. They think of that. And don't think for a second that Biden pictures of him massaging women, touching women inappropriately or uncomfortably because we've seen you know, how that's popped up. Mm-hmm. Don't think for a second those wouldn't be shown over and over and over again. Oh, absolutely. Now, that would be used against him. But I, I think his name recognition, more so you asked the question about Sanders or Warren. I don't think name recognition. For some reason, when I hear their name, I think old and tired. And uh, we've heard your line. We've heard your rhetoric. Been there, done that. What else you got? But Biden, yes, he ran for president. But, he, oh, by the way, he had eight years as vice president in there. That that comes with more clout than anything that Sanders or Warren can bring to the and table. And name recognition. And the name That's recognition. The and re- he's look, Joe Biden is, is, is pretty well liked in, in the unofficial would you have a beer with this person type survey, I think a lot of people wouldn't mind having a beer with Joe Biden, even if you're a Republican. I mean, he's, 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 he's an affable. There's a likability to him. His personal story of tragedy, I think, can mm-hmm. be endearing yeah. to some who are, you know, riding the fence a little bit, politically speaking. And, and 
you're right. It would just take a while before Uncle Joe drops a few gaffes on the air and and uh, misspeaks, and next thing you know, you've got an ad or a picture of him, you know, awkwardly touching this somebody, person when he was yeah, swearing in yeah. the family, yeah. you know, to the Senate, things like that. There, there, there's plenty of stuff. Plagiarism, also, by the way, in his past, which will probably come up again. So Joe Biden, if he enters the race here and now, front runner. Other than that, what else you got?